Hello everyone. This is Ivan Oleg Smith with Yoga U Online and I am very pleased to be here today with yoga therapist and physical therapist Malisa Sullivan. Uh, Malisa is an assistant professor at Maryland University of Integrative Health where she teaches both in the yoga therapy department and also in the integrative science department. Malisa is also a co-founder of the Center for Integrative Yoga Studies, where she helps lead the 200-hour training, as well as courses in the 500-hour training, including uh, classes focusing on yoga for chronic pain, anatomy, and meditation. And as if that isn't enough, Malisa is also an active participant in research into the different applications of yoga therapy. And uh, Malisa, I believe you have a couple of books coming out as well. I do. Yeah, we just um, with uh, Neil Pearson and Shelley Prosco, we just submitted our manuscript for a yoga and um, science and pain care book. And it's a co-edited volume where we have other authors who contributed chapters like Michael Lee and Matthew Taylor and Stephanie Munaz and um, others. Awesome. awesome. So it'll be out um, in a year. Cool. Well, it's, welcome. It's so great to have you with us today. So uh, we're here to talk about the sores muscle, uh, the elusive sores muscle, we might say, because um, We've all heard a lot about the sores muscle if you're into yoga or body work. Um, and it has sort of like almost uh, been ascribed mythical properties. <laughs> so tell us about the sores muscle, what it is and why it's considered so important. Uh, well, so um, the psoas muscle is a really deep hip flexor muscle that um, also functions as part of the core. Um, and it is given a lot of um, people talking about a lot because of all the different ways that we can work with it. So one of the interesting things about the psoas is that it's very related to the diaphragm muscles. So they're, they're fascially connected so that uh, breathing and the psoas muscle are um, have a, a close relationship to each other and their function so that if one becomes tight or dysfunctional the other is likely to be affected um, and then there's also talk about its influence with like the sympathetic nervous system and the fight or flight response and certainly it is one of those muscles that in response to the fight or flight activation will be activated because it's such a large muscle for um, flexing the hip for running or fighting um, that's a lot of information right there. Let's, let's uh, break it down a little bit more. So um, one of the things that's considered important with the, with the sores muscle is it, its interconnectedness with other parts of the body. So the diaphragm uh, is one aspect and you're saying that's linked to uh, the fight and flight response. Well, the, um, the diaphragm, just the movement of the diaphragm with breathing. So when you take a diaphragmatic breath, it's going to move along the psoas muscle so that if there's any kind of dysfunction in either the diaphragm itself or the psoas itself, they can affect one another. Whereas um, tightness in the psoas could affect the ability for the diaphragm to move fully. Um, 
and then separately as a fight or flight muscle and when the sympathetic muscle when the sympathetic nervous system is activated it's going to activate and create tone in the muscles that are used for fight and flight of which mm -hmm. the psoas would be one because it's such a big hip flexor oh interesting yeah and then so basically um if there's dysfunction, tightness in the source model, a muscle, it can trap us in a, a more constant fight and flight mode, or does it interfere with parasympathetic response in some way? No, I would separate it out. Like so, so the psoas muscle, as far as tightness in the psoas, would affect the diaphragm and moving with the full diaphragmatic breath. Mm -hmm. because fascially they're connected mm -hmm. in another way like a whole separate um component would be that when i'm in when someone is in a sympathetic uh overdrive or they have increased sympathetic activation they're going to have more tone in the muscles that are used for fight or flight or freeze mm -hmm. so the muscles that are going to be more toned are our bigger muscles um so they're going to be muscles like the psoas and the quadriceps that are used to like run or to fight um mm -hmm. and then when we're in a parasympathetic state those muscles have a chance to relax mm, interesting and um so the f the reason I've seen in some contexts the sores is also considered like you know sores release is considered one way to improve psychological well-being. Um, so is that the same connection between um, sympathetic overactivation um, uh, via the sores muscle? Is that the link with psychological well-being, or where does that come in? Yeah, so the psoas muscle, and, and that is an important thing that we'll talk about in the course too, that this idea of releasing the psoas versus stretching the psoas. So mm -hmm. often the psoas will have these like trigger points or places of tension because of this sympathetic activation or because of tension or shortness or whatever the reason. Mm -hmm. um, and so when we do things that actually relax the muscle, we, we can help facilitate that parasympathetic state. Um, indirectly through the body which then can help relax and create different states of the mind mm -hmm. so we create like we're creating a whole body parasympathetic state and when that happens it affects our psychological state and separately it affects our psoas that's really cool can you give an example of how you use that in your work yeah so when we um when i consider uh, relaxing a muscle versus stretching it um the idea is um in osteopathic medicine they call it strain counter strain and in uh, yoga lee albert calls it positional release and so it's whenever you shorten a muscle you bring the origin and the insertion close together but you create a relaxed state so you're not asking the muscle to do anything so for example when i'm sitting my psoas is in a shortened position but i'm having to hold myself up so the psoas is working. However, if I lie on my back and I put my legs up on a chair, which is um, sometimes called constructive rest, then my psoas is in a shortened position, just like when I'm sitting, but because my back is on the ground, I'm completely relaxed so the muscle can relax. So when I'm in a, when the body is in a shortened position and rest, resting, there's no um, impetus to the muscle or um, uh, stimulus to the muscle to even ask it to contract so it can really relax more deeply mm. and what kind of results have you seen with that in your either your practice as a physical therapist or a yoga therapist 
Um, so a lot of times psoas issues are related to low back pain, um, pelvic pain, definitely any kind of abdominal pain, irritable bowel syndrome, that kind of thing, um, as well as um, working with things like anxiety or um, people feeling really stressed and overwhelmed. So any of those kinds of things. Interesting. And have you seen those conditions being affected once you teach people Zua's release? Yeah, like it's, it's definitely like, you know, the constructive rest position. We, I always make fun of it with the students at um, Maryland University that um, everyone gets constructive rest because it's just the, it's the position that everyone needs and, um, right. and you know, not to, over, not to overstate it. But for most people, they'll do really well if they do constructive rest that it, it can really help a lot of issues. And when you combine it, like you lie there for five minutes doing, um, you know, longer exhalations and more relaxed breathing and then with a meditation to really facilitate the parasympathetic state. So yeah, and it's definitely a posture that people will do. So once they do it um, and they realize how much it helps, they'll be really, they'll adhere to it well. So they'll actually be consistent in its practice. Um, and I have, like, I found a lot of people talk about how they use it for stress, they use it for anxiety, that it helps to relieve their back pain, um, especially those conditions. Yeah. You mentioned the connection to back pain several times. Could you be a little bit more uh, explicit about, about that, how that comes about? Yeah, so the psoas muscle attaches to the front of the lumbar spine, so it's actually attached to the spine. So when it's short or tight, it's going to create a forward pull of the lumbar spine, creating increased, they can create an increased curve, but it's definitely going to create um, that pull forward of the spine, which can create compression. So often what can happen in back pain is you have this activation of the psoas compressing the lumbar spine, um, in addition to decreased activation of the deeper abdominals, the transverse abdominals, or even the pelvic floor. So you end up with the psoas trying to stabilize the core um, instead of like the transverse abdominals and the pelvic floor. So if you teach the psoas to relax and you teach these other muscles to create the stability, then the psoas can begin to not um, overload itself or overwork itself. Mm. How do how would people know if they have a tight psoas? Um, well, they often people feel tight, like in the very front of their hips. That's one way of knowing. Mm -hmm. um, another way would be um, so tightness is really a subjective feeling. So it would be something that you would feel. You can look at length issues more with range of motion. So, for example, can you do a low lunge with the knee down, or can you do warrior one or mm -hmm. dancer posture? That would tell you more the length of the psoas. Mm -hmm. um, but usually, if someone has um, pelvic pain or low back pain, or they feel that kind of tightness in the front of their hips, then I'll usually do constructive rest to see if it helps. Mm. And uh, also um, the exaggerated curve in the lumbar spine when the sewers get tight. Um, yeah, that's often a good sign that someone has a tight curve. Yeah, yeah. but is that always, is a lordotic curve always present with sewers tightness or sewers tightness can be there, but does yeah, no, that can be normal curve. Yeah, not always. Because some people just have an increased lumbar curve, like it's their structure. Mm -hmm. And so it's not necessarily tight. It's just the way that yeah. uh, their structure is. But yeah. often, I would say oftentimes, that would be a sign of it. So if yeah. you take it in relationships, so if someone has an increased lumbar curve, they... Um, 
complain about low back pain or pelvic pain or SI joint pain. Um, mm -hmm. And they might even complain about tightness in the front of their hips. All of that would point together. And, mm -hmm. and uh, in another case, you could have someone with an increased lumbar curve that has no pain. So they might not have a short as tight psoas. Right, right, all right. Well, while we're singing the praises of the psoas, um, one of the write-ups I saw about the psoas uh, also mentioned that it supports the internal organs and via the movements of the internal organs facilitate, facilitate lymphatic flow. Could you talk a little bit about that? So the psoas is really behind um, the organs. So like you have all the like, abdominal organs like the, the intestines um, and even like the kidneys and the psoas is behind all of those um, and then it at the very like pelvic basin it moves to the front to become a hip flexor mm -hmm. um, so certainly like fascially they're connected so if there is psoas tightness, then that's going to create fascial restrictions, which can create more tightness in visceral motility or mobility in any of the abdominal organs. So that it's kind of a sign of like, if the psoas is tight, that there's fascial tightness throughout the abdominal region and abdominal wall, mm -hmm. which then cr can create limitation of movement in the abdominal organs um, to create issues or, or decrease function of lymphatic flow and abdominal organs. So it's kind of like, indirectly um, mm -hmm. but when when the psoas is tight the fascia around it's going to be tight that fascia is then connected to the fascia that surrounds the organs and then through that fascial restriction the organ mobility or motility becomes limited mm, that's a beautiful answer yeah and also uh, you mentioned the fight and flight response and and one other area that uh, sewers work is commonly used is in working with people with trauma is that mm -hmm. correct so, so the psoas muscle isn't directly related to the vagus nerve. Like the psoas muscle is not innervated by the vagus nerve. Um, so it's not related in a direct way. Mm -hmm. um, however, when you help to facilitate a relaxed psoas, it facilitates a parasympathetic state throughout the body because uh, you're taking the person out of sympathetic mode into relaxation mode. Mm -hmm. And so in trauma, if you look at something like even polyvagal theory, you can help take someone out of either fight or flight or the dorsal uh, vagal response into this optimal parasympathetic state. Um, and one thing that's nice, and, and I think, you know, we talk about it as so as release because it is a simple way to say it. Um, however, it's not like it's not like the most accurate thing that we're doing. So what we're really doing is creating a bottom up impetus to create um, the ventral vagal response or the social engagement system. So especially in trauma, when you sometimes can't use the mind um, to, to um, you can't access that uh, relaxation and calm and peace and safety through the mind, we can achieve it through the body. So what's really just beautiful and magical about yoga is that we have techniques that can go from the mind, which is called top-down influence, or we can do practices that are based in the body, which is called bottom-up. So when we use things like the breath, 
but also postures that facilitate the parasympathetic state. We're going to create a bottom-up influence to kind of supersede the mind, to mm. bypass the mind, to create a parasympathetic social engagement response. And when we do it, and when we do something like constructive rest, which is releasing the psoas, we're also releasing a bunch of other things to help facilitate yeah. that parasympathetic response. Yeah, yeah, that's a beautiful answer. Yeah. Um, so you made me really excited now about learning more about the psoas muscle. And you do have a course on Yoga You Online about the psoas, uh, and it is important for health and well-being. Uh, could you tell us a little bit more about the course and what you're covering? Yeah, so one of the things I wanted to really focus on in this course is um, I created two practices that are separate. So one is really about um, this idea of release, like working with that tightness of the psoas. So mm -hmm. speaking to the release and mobilization of the psoas and the abdominal viscera and all of that connected fascial, fascial structures. So it, it's postures that are worked in a way to release the diaphragm, to release the tissues of the abdominal organs, as cool. well as to release the psoas. And then there's another whole separate practice that really focuses on stability and mobility of the system with this idea that the underlying reasons that the psoas is often tight um, is because of decreased stability of the system, like decreased strength of the abdominals and the transfer, the um, pelvic floor and the stabilizing structures. So, so often I will do two separate kinds of practices with people. One to really release all the structures, especially when someone um, has a history of trauma or they um, have really intense back pain or anxiety or stress and then as that lessens then i'll go into more of a stability mobility practice mm. which is the second practice um, and so in the course we'll be talking about um, how all of these structures relate in a little bit more detail this difference between like trying to really highlight this difference between tightness and shortness and weakness and the importance mm. of sometimes working with those as separate uh, concepts cool cool Looks sounds like a really, really wonderful course and so important also can give people um, some very, very useful self-care tools. And I think particularly the ability to learn more about how we can self-regulate parasympathetic response is such an important um, way to, you know, we all get into hyperdrive, right? And the thing about hyperdrive is it's very hard to figure out how to get out of it. And, you know, having that knowledge about, you know, these specific postures, these specific techniques to help calm the nervous system and reset is just so, so important. So we're really looking forward to your course. Thanks. I'm excited about it. All right. Thank you so much for, for joining us and we'll see you soon. I'll see you soon. Thank you. All right, take care.